only source of true delight whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, also found on page 869 of the Blue Pew Bible. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and to the one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The Word of the Lord. Uh, Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Ryan Anderson. And in case uh, you don't know who this strange man is standing before you, I'm the new RUF campus minister at TCU. And my wife, Laura, and I moved here uh, in early July, and uh, we are thrilled to be with you all. It is a joy to be in the midst of this church family. We're just, uh, we're so excited uh, about God's providence in our lives to uh, have us be a part of your community, and we look forward to getting to, um, getting to know many of you. Um, this is Parents Weekend over at TCU, so that's why the session so kindly has let me uh, preach, and I see some of my students out here, so If you see somebody in that 18 to 22-year-old range, will you risk being weird and just say hello? (laughs) That would be great. I would love for our students to feel welcomed and to uh, let them know this is a place where where Jesus' love for college students can certainly uh, be made known. Lastly, uh, I am so grateful for the financial and prayer support of uh, Fort Worth Presbyterian Church individually and corporately. We just could not make it happen without you. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your kindness. 
Thank you for uh, loving college students in the ways that you do. We're just, we're just grateful. So thank you. Thank you. Um, Steve read for us a text today, and uh, it is from Luke chapter 11. And it is without a doubt a, uh, a little bit of Scripture about prayer. So certainly Jesus is going to be talking about prayer. But before we kind of look at that, I would like to uh, share with you a little bit about why I'm looking at Luke. Our semester, this semester in RUF, we're looking at this gospel to get a picture of the, the person and the work of Jesus and how he often upends and turns upside down what we think about ourselves, what we think about God and the world that we live in. We're calling that series the Upside Down Jesus. And so today, we're just going to continue in that. So this might be out of the norm for some of you, but for the college students, we're keeping on track here. And I hope that God will certainly bless what it is that we want to look at. Hey, uh, I don't know how many of you grew up in the you know, era of the rocking years of Saturday Night Live um, in the mid-90s. But there was a little bit on there called Jack, uh, Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. And um, while everything on that show might not be commendable, there were some funny deep thoughts by Jack Handy. And one of them went like this. The mouth of a child... Dadgummit, I just gave it up. Here we go. The face of a child can say so much especially the mouth part of a child. And so the point is, is that uh, I wanted to share with you a story about what a child has said. One, one day a mother was uh, cooking and getting ready to have company over that evening. She was fixing the home. And this house full of children was in disarray. And these ideas of like, oh my goodness, there's so much to be done, changed into maybe another night would have been better. And so, as the people were arriving, the house was in, in proper form and everything looked proper. And the, they were about to have their bite to eat, to sit down and eat. And the mother turned to one of her daughters and said, Sweetheart, won't, will, you, will you pray for the food? And the child just, you know, wide-eyed said, Mommy, I don't know what to say. She says, It's okay, it's okay. Just pray like Mommy does. And so they all bowed their heads, and the child said, Lord, why am I having people over tonight? (laughs) Amen. That's fantastic, if you ask me. uh, We laugh at it because we know that children certainly are impressionable. But there's also something else in there that that presupposes, is that we have to learn how to pray. And that child, just like these disciples, have to learn how to pray. The disciples have just seen Jesus coming out of prayer with Him and the Father. And they asked Him, will you teach us to pray like John and his disciples have taught, him, taught them to pray? And so Jesus does. But He's going to do so in a very circumlocutionary way, in a very roundabout way. What He's going to do is speak about the Father's heart to talk about prayer. Because Jesus knows that unless you understand the Father's heart, you'll never really know what it looks like to pray. So what is it about God's fatherly heart that Jesus is going to show us? Well, Jesus, like any good preacher, has three points. (laughs) And they are this. He's going to show us what motivates God's heart. It's commitment. And then lastly, 
Not only lastly, but, um, oh shoot, my third point here, where is it? I'm just playing, here it is. It's motivation, it's commitment, and it's posture. It's posture. Will you pray with me? And we're going to ask the Lord to open our eyes. Our Father in heaven, Jesus and Holy Spirit, thank you for speaking to us, that you have not left us as orphans, but that you have come to us in your word. Will you open our eyes now? Will you open our ears? Will you um, get in our face if need be, O Lord, to get at our hearts so that we might see you as wonderful and as beautiful, that you might stir our hearts, that we would enjoy and love you forever. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, if you're looking at your Bibles there, uh, I'm going to focus primarily on verses 5 to 13 today. I just wanted to read those earlier verses for context. And if you turn to verse 5, here is what's going on. The disciples have asked Jesus to teach them about prayer. And then Jesus launches into a parable. And the parable is an extended question carrying for verses 5 to 7. And it goes like this. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. That question, Jesus' hearers would have said, would have been, No, we cannot imagine such a scenario. We can't possibly fathom such a thing. And here's why. Their ears are bent a little bit differently than ours are. They're going to understand something about that culture that we need to understand. And that is these three primary things. First, hospitality to travelers and or strangers was incredibly important. Secondly, that the village itself bore the responsibility for hospitality to that stranger or traveler. And then third, shame. Shame was an incredibly powerful deterrent. So keeping those things in mind, let's go into this text. Here's what's happening. A man over here has a friend that comes to him in the middle of the night. He doesn't have any grub in the pantry. So he goes in the middle of the night to his friend and he says, friend, he calls out. Notice he doesn't knock. He calls out. That's what you would have done in those days. If you would have knocked somebody in a one-room house where everybody was sleeping, you would have woken everybody up. So friend says, hey, Charlie, Charlie, you have any food? I've got a neighbor that's here. I don't have anything. And what Jesus is saying is, is that man over here, this man inside, comes to the host and says, though you are my friend, he says, he says, can you imagine this happening? Get away. My kids are asleep and the doors are locked. That's incredulous. Nobody would have ever done that. And Jesus says in verse 8, He says, I tell you, though He will not get up and give Him anything because He is His friend, He is His friend, yet because of His impudence, He will rise and give Him whatever He needs. Now, a couple of things are going on here underneath this banner of what motivates God's heart. Here's what's going on. Most of the time when we read this verse... We hear something like this in your margin or down below the footnote there. If you have a footnote on your Bible of that word impudence, you probably see the word persistence or boldness. If you have an NASB, it probably says shamelessness. And that's more the sense of that word, is the idea of shamelessness. It's the idea of wanting to avoid the sense of being shamed. So, 
this man comes and because of shamelessness, we have to determine who it is. Is it this guy on the outside calling out or is it this guy on the inside? And I want to suggest to you that it's the man on the inside. That it's his shamelessness on the inside that makes him give bread to the friend. You see, we often think of it like this. If I just go and ask and knock long enough, if I'm persistent enough, then God will have to give me what I'm asking for. And I'm not saying that persistence in prayer is a bad thing. In fact, Luke 18, a few chapters to the right, is going to tell us that exact thing in the parable of the widow and the judge. I don't believe that's what's getting at in this little parable. Rather, think with me about those three assumptions. Hospitality to travelers, hospitality being borne by the village, and shame being a powerful deterrent. The reason His disciples can in no way imagine such a scenario happening is because they know that this man, when he wakes up in the morning and the word gets out that he denied a friend food, his name would have been absolute mud in that community. His name would have been mud because you didn't help. Now, how does all of this have anything to do with prayer? What Jesus is saying is, is that at the heart of prayer is God's own name. His own fame. His own renown in the community. And He will not, He absolutely will not let that name be ran through the mud. Think about it this way. How many of you are familiar with what we just read when we read um, from the Old Testament reading? Like, for the sake of Your name, O Lord. Think about this in Psalm 79. The nations are ransacking Jerusalem. And the psalmist himself says, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of Your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for Your name's sake. Again, In the Old Testament, in Ezekiel chapter 36, God's people have been displaced into exile. And the nations are screaming out, Ha! That Yahweh, He's nothing. He can't save His people. Where are they now? Where are they now? And through the mouthpiece of Ezekiel, He says this, I'm going to rescue Israel. But, and I quote, it's not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of My holy name. You see, God will not let His name be mud. Why? Think of the book of Habakkuk. For one day, one day, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the seas. You see, that is the mission for which Jesus came. And that one day, that is the end, dear brothers and sisters. And so, When we pray, do you see that as the ultimate end? A name not being run through mud. Why? Because God will not let His name be shamed. So how does this relate to prayer? Do you think about prayer in that way? I know I don't. (laughs) I'm one selfish man. Lord, my knees bother me. If you could take care of that, that would be great. 
By the way, there's nothing wrong praying for my bum knee. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay to pray for everything, Paul says. But, if I'm honest, it's about me having a better knee so I can just get around and less about the Lord's glory. The Lord's name being known. You see how that directs and motivates our prayer. And what Jesus is saying is, unless you understand that, what the Father's heart is in all of His works, you will not understand what it means to pray. It's motivation. But secondly, it's commitment. What do I mean by it's commitment? Look with me in these verses 9 through 10 in your Bible. He says, and I will tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If God's commitment to His own glory, and he's, Jesus is saying that He will give you whatever you need. That's what it says in verse 8. He'll give you whatever you need. Jesus is saying, go mad. Go berserks in the asking. Go like crazy. Come to Him. Because this is a God that is so committed to His own good and His own glory and will give you whatever you need to bring that about. Go mad in the asking. Why? Look with me. Jesus says in verse 10, sorry, in verse 9, that you will find, that it will be given to you. Knock, and it will be opened to you. It is solid. It is certain. It is a certainty that God is that committed to His people. That is what He is getting at. Now, does that mean that God will give you everything you ask for? Hear me loud and clear. Most likely, no. Think of it this way. When I was a kid, um, I was ride, I wanted a new bike. And I wanted the sort of bike that had the brakes on the handlebars. You know what I'm talking about? And the reason I wanted that is because I wanted the wheels to be able to spin backwards for the first time. Because I was used to braking and I saw all the older boys spinning their, I mean, their pedals backwards. So you had to have one of the brakes up there on the handlebars. Well, I'd ask my dad, I said, Dad, you know, I'd really like one of these bikes. Is there any way I can get one of them? He'd say, Ryan, not, not now. You need a little bit more experience on your bike before you, you move up, so to speak. Well, I'll never forget my friend, his, a neighbor in the neighborhood. His older brother had one of those spinning pedal bikes. And sure enough, I got on it. And I was riding it and I was having a joy of a time. And then I came to a stop sign, and you know, like any oldest son, I've just got to keep the rules, and I stopped. And I crammed on those brakes with my feet, and they kept spinning. And I'd forgotten where the brakes were. And the next thing I knew, I was in my parents' waking up in my parents' station wagon on the way to the hospital. I'd fallen over off the bike and had a concussion. Now, my dad didn't do this, but he could have and said, I told you so. (laughs) But he was kind. He's generous. Here's what. My dad knew something about me that I didn't know. His wisdom, his experience, his knowledge about little boys' legs and bicycle riding abilities 
and the way that bikes work and how much hospital bills cost. (laughs) He knew better than to get me a bike. And I'm here to tell you that God is equally committed to you and to your good. And yet, at the same time, God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything about you that He knew. I stole that from another pastor, and I'm going to say it again. God will only give you what you would have asked for if you knew everything He knew about you. You can take confidence in that. So what does this mean? That God is so radically committed to His people and that He will not stop for one minute to give them exactly as much as they need. Jesus is saying, go for it. Cast yourself on Him. Literally, these are commands. He is saying, ask, seek, knock, do this. Because God is so committed to you, to His people. So, we not only see the heart of the Father, this motivation, its commitment, the wholehearted commitment to you, but also its posture. The posture of the Father's heart. Look with me in these last remaining verses. Verses 11 through 13. He says, What father among you, he's talking to the disciples, it says, If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And it's, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If then, if you then rather, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to him who asks? In these verses, Jesus is posing a couple of questions about earthly fathers. And it's when a child comes to them and asks for, say, a fish, none of them, none of you would give your child a snake. Or a scorpion... Instead, when it asks for an egg, you wouldn't do that. Why? Because your heart or your child is postured with loads of goodness, delight, enjoyment, because they're your child. Because they are your child. Think about it like this. When my wife Laura and I were dating, we were swapping stories, you know, just about our families. And one of the things that we wanted, what we talked about was how uh, our parents or how our dads spoiled us. Every Saturday morning for me, my dad would take me and my two siblings to Jay's Donut Junction in Franklin, Tennessee. And it was his morning, it was his morning with his kids. All week he had worked, but it was then off to Jay's to play, you know, Pac-Man and, you know, eat cinnamon rolls and chocolate bow ties. It was awesome. And we would come home with sugar kegs around our face and my mom would just roll her eyeballs. Spoiling us rotten. Laura's dad was a lot the same. They said at their house, it was, you wanted to go with dad when he went to the grocery store. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about, right? Kids in tow, down the Pop-Tarts aisle, whoosh, straight into the basket, right? I mean, all sorts of goodies, just, yeah, throw them in there, that'll be awesome. Mom gets home, gets home, and mom goes, what have you done? The father's heart 
is one posturing towards goodness and goodness. Here's the thing though. Jesus gives us way more than Pop-Tarts and donuts. Look with us in that text. What does it say He gives? It says that He gives the Holy Spirit. That is what He blesses His children with. The goodness of God compels Himself, compels God Himself to give you His very presence. His very presence is with you. And this spurs you on in prayer because it knows that He, it lets you know that He is with you. A couple of points of application for what this might mean for us. First, a story for the adults. And then second, a story for the children and teenagers in our midst. Personal story for the adults. When I was uh, in seminary, I remember a season where I was going through some counseling with a counselor friend of mine. And we began to talk about this dynamic, this understanding about the Father's heart, its posture toward us. And one of the things that we began to use as a launch pad in a lot of our discussions was that the concept of Chuck E. Cheese and the old bait and switch. What do I mean? I mean this, that God Himself, as a metaphor, now listen, Chuck E. Cheese to a kid, pizza, skee-ball, tokens galore, all day of fun. That's God's heart toward us. And so here I was, and this is how I envisioned, Ryan envisioned God. God hold me by the hand, I'm walking over to Chuck E. Cheese, and right as the door opened, my arm is jerked, we're taken away over to some mom and pop vegetable place, and the best thing they've got is Pong. My cynicism, my unbelief, yes, even my own story, had certainly gotten in the way of seeing God absolutely in love with me. Absolutely delighted like a child is delighted in by their parents. And that doesn't even hold a candle to what the Lord does for me and what He does for you, His children. It just doesn't. And the way that you see that, it will radically affect your prayer. I mean, are you just praying to some distant guy who might be concerned with the affairs in your life? No. Not, not this. Not this God. Secondly, for the children in our midst. Little ones, friends. Here's what this means. This means that your mommy and your daddy are absolutely in love with you. They think you are the bee's knees, the cat's meow, if you were born in the 20s. <laughs> if not, they think that you're really cool. That you're really hip. They think the world of you. And sometimes they do things that they wish they wouldn't. And so... We have to learn even at a little age what it looks like to forgive our moms and dads. And our parents have to learn to say we're sorry. But here's the thing. Inasmuch as your mom 
and your dad loved you, do you know what? God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, just blow it out of the water. He loves you way more. He loves you that much. And that is good news for people of all ages. Of all ages. I want to close with a small little illustration, and that's this. If you're thinking in your head, well, Ryan, this is well and good. Thanks so much about prayer, but you don't know my life. You don't know the pain that I've seen in my life. You don't know how hard it is to pray. You're right, I don't know your life for the majority of you. And I'm not going to sit up here and pretend that what has happened to you wasn't evil, wicked, and bad. And I'm not going to pretend that what you're going through perhaps in this very moment is not very difficult and hard. I'm not going to do that. Somewhere in the midst of it, Jesus is there. Listen to a story about a man from the 1800s. His name was George Mueller. And Mueller was an evangelist, and he how he gave his life to caring for orphans, serving and loving over 10,000 children in his lifetime. And in one day, his wife, Mary, fell sick. She had become sick with rheumatic fever. And listen to what Mueller writes in his journals soon after Mary, his wife, had passed away. I fell on my knees and thanked God for her release and for having taken her to Himself and asked the Lord to help and to support us. The last portion of Scripture which I read to my precious wife was this. The Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. I myself am a poor, miserable, worthless sinner, but I have been saved by the blood of Christ. And I do not live in sin. I walk before Him. Therefore, if it is really good for me, my darling wife, will be raised up again, sick as she is. God will restore her again. But if she is not restored again, then it would not be a good thing for me. And so my heart was at rest. I was satisfied with God. I was satisfied with God. You see this. Mueller was absolutely transfixed by the goodness of God toward his children in the hardest and most painful of life's circumstances. Now, I don't share this with you and say, now let's go all be like George Mueller's. No. What I say is, I want to know the God that George Mueller knew for him to be able to say just that. And do you know what he knew? He knew that there was another time when somebody else would cry out, Father. And he would say, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. And the Father wouldn't respond. Jesus Himself cried out for the egg and got the scorpion. 
He experienced fatherly displeasure that we might receive all the Father's blessings. He knocked and the door was closed on that cross at Calvary for you and for me. He asked and He did not receive. And therefore, as the song says, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned He stood, sealed my pardon with His blood. If you know it, say it. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Seeing the Father's rejection of the Son for your delight and enjoyment is the only fuel for your heart and for your prayers. What do you say we do that right now? Go to Him with me. Our Father, what a joy it is to call upon You. To know that You have our goodness in mind. And yet, O oh Lord, You are concerned with Your glory and Your name's sake more than our good. Help us to know that deep mystery, to know more of this, that we might find life and life in You, that that might fuel our prayer life. Thank You, O oh Jesus, that You have taught us how to pray. And O oh Holy Spirit, thank You that You aid us in prayer. That You cry out when we have no words to say. O oh Lord, would You do something mighty and powerful in our church body. Renew our hearts unto prayer. Renew our eyes that we might see You. And that at the end, we might say with the psalmist, for Your name's sake, yes, Lord, come quickly. Come fill the earth with the knowledge of Your glory as the waters cover the seas. We ask this for Your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break radiant through the shades of night, and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?